Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for those John Williams Indiana Jones soundtrack albums. Those belong in a museum. You got a record of your favorite songs. You got an hour and it won't take long. You got a pair of brand new friends. You got a ticket gonna stick to the end. I said, now hear this. Now hear this. Now hear this show. showed people that I understand how to make perfect mm-hmm. you know dark fantasy could be considered to be perfect you know yeah. I say I know how to make perfect but yeah. that's not what I'm here to yeah. do I'm here to crack the pavement and make new grounds you know mm-hmm. sonically and in society culturally mm-hmm. I just think that I'm a production person mm-hmm. I'm a product guy I'm a producer And then for me, as Kanye West, I gotta fuck shit up. <laughs> yeah. 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 I fantasize about this back in Chicago. Mercy, mercy me, that mercy will I go. That's me, the first year that I blow. How you say broken Spanish, me no I blow. Me drown sorrow in that Diablo. Me found bravery in my bravado. DJs need to listen to the models. You ain't got no fucking Yeezy in Serato. Stupid, but what the hell do I know? I'm just a Chi-Town nigga with a nice flow. And my chick in that new Phoebe Philo. So much head, I woke up to Sleepy Hollow. Can we get much higher? All right, boys. So we're doing something different, Paul, today on this episode of Now Hear This. Because I was listening to this album, Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Mm. And I was just feeling jacked up on creativity it just the the whole level of intensity that is this artist that I decided who knows more about this than me that can speak intelligently on it. And so that's why we have on the show today, Mr. Max Parenchio, the Pelican Boy. It's great to be here, gentlemen. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Yeah. Your reputation precedes you. <laughs> I guess. I'm resident Kanye expert. I'm really not, but it is a project and um, an artist that I've definitely been a champion of you know probably for the last shoot almost 10 years now since this record came out yeah nine years old so so i know that you're a big beatles fan max and you know probably on the same level that paul and i are and i remember a couple times in the in the last five ten years you've said things along lines of like well kanye's on the same level as these guys just as influential maybe better in some way and so it's a claim that's gotten me into a lot of trouble, but it's one that I'll <laughs> still defend to this day that really when we look as music fans on to different outputs, discographies, I generally tend to think it goes into kind of two parallel 
ways of judgment, one being the commercial. So things that are just culturally innovative and at the top of the charts. And then, you know, so that would be like represented by the billboard charts. And then you have the critical realm, which is being represented by things like music criticism and you know, yeah. pitchfork, those kinds of things. Ooh, sure. And generally speaking, the great top tier artists sort of teeter back and forth between those things. So you have a group like great example would be Radiohead, right? Which is a critical champion, one of the greatest alternative rock bands of its time. They always, you know, strike up nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 or five star, whatever your, whatever your rating system is. Commercially, they do pretty well, which is what makes them so amazing. But not since the Beatles do you have a career that lasts over a decade with studio albums, you know, at least seven or eight or nine studio albums, every single one of which is a number one album. And then also, critically speaking, a four and a half out of five or a five out of five album across the board from like a Metacritic perspective. And to do that for 10 years straight. The only two artists in in commercial music to ever do it are the Beatles and Kanye West. So that's my claim. And that, and I think that makes a very good claim. Yeah. And I understand probably the audience of this podcast and 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 also the uh, like kind of the background that I come from, too, which is very much Beatles, Beach Boys, classic rock, songwriting first. These kind of claims get really, really testy, because when I say actually this probably the greatest artist of all time is the Beatles and Kanye West. People go, what? There's no way. No way. I hate because Kanye just evokes this sort of Dennis Rodman quality of like you hate him and he's just so flamboyant. You know, there's just so much baggage. But in reality, like I said, like where, where you look at critical and where you look at commercial you can look at those lines and like he's at that top of the mountain where those two lines cross. Well, I think he himself was aware of that too, to a degree, even on this record. I mean, there's that line about what do you call a black beetle? Isn't that a cockroach or something? Yeah. Right? Doesn't he say that? Yeah, on I'm gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so you, you have that, but you also have, I guess the beetle similarity comes in in terms of genre because one of the things I get when listening to this album, almost in a princey kind of way, which is like, what, what even genre is this at a certain point? Because it's one part pop record, it's one part R&B record, it's one part rock record in a weird way, and then of the, the rest is hip-hop. But, you know, Beatles in the same way. They were similarly influential to a variety of different genres. And when you listen to this album, which I guess came out in 2010, boy, if that didn't influence everything that came after it, I don't know what did, you know, you... We were talking on a prior episode about Jack Antonoff and those types of producers and things. Boy, this is the template. This is the blueprint for what those types of producers are really getting in terms of uh, sound out of pop artists or rock artists for a long time. So it took me by surprise. Ryan, sometimes you bring me albums I've never heard before. This is one I did. <laughs> oh, really? I did have this one. because I didn't know if you had had this or not. Well, I was obsessed with Monster for a good long while. Um, With good reason. Yes, I still maintain it's the best track on the record, but even as a person who was into indie rock and and, and still is and stuff, like, especially in 2010, we're now looking at it a decade ago, this album still made its way to me because I, you know, I, I'm not adverse to hip-hop. I listen to, you know, a pretty substantial amount of what you'd call, I guess, classic rap at this point, which is, you know, the, the uh, B.I.G.s and Tupac's and stuff like that. But, yeah, this is a contemporary or 
at least at this point, pseudo-contemporary rap record that made its way to my ears and really stood the test of time listening to it this current go-around. Yeah, to your point, it has the hip-hop on there, but also some of these choruses are bigger than a lot of classic rock choruses. Some of these greatest songs ever written, something like Power or like Monster you're talking about, All of the Lights. Like, yeah. I find this album baffling. I remember when, because I was a fan of his up to this point, but then this is the thing that just tipped it all the way over the edge where you're like, how could you possibly turn in something something like this? I, I can't remember if it was this album or the previous album where he was talking about how the records that he turns in, it's like he was passing tests. And then he, with this one, he, f- he flipped the test over and he drew like a Rembrandt on the back of it and turned it in. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I could listen to this album on repeat all weekend long. That's a really good place to jump off to because I think what makes this album so special is placing it within the context of the four records that had come out prior by Kanye. And so he had established himself over the first three very much yeah, just commercial yeah. hip hop records, um, college dropout, uh, late registration and graduation. Those were the followed the blueprint of any hip hop superstar, a Lil Wayne, a Jay-Z followed his rise to the top. The Ooh. songs got more and more flamboyant and outrageous and every, every everything was pretty. We had seen that before. And then something really, really special happened where he released this album, 808s and Heartbreaks. And that was the one of the weirdest moves, especially at the time, where you have the the biggest rapper on the planet releasing a record where there's no rap. And he's just singing the whole time through yeah. an auto-tune effect. And it went number one. People loved it regardless. But it, in a weird way, painted him into this weird corner where... It was sort of like, well, where do you go? Do you do you go like, what's is your next album going to be a folk album or something? You know what I mean? Like, how how are you going to keep this going in your career? Usually, when you make these weird left hand turns, you generally start isolating yourself. But this album had him come back where he he brought all the qualities of the previous four records and reestablished himself as a stronger rapper than ever, really. And then yes, opened him up to what became the norm for him from then on, which is him as an executive producer. So no longer was it as relevant that Kanye was making the beats on an MPC, but now he was developing production houses. He was inviting dozens of people into the studio and treating it like a movie director, like a Spielberg kind of thing, where it was no longer as important if he came up with that beat himself and, and sampled everything. He would pick and choose and truly curate what was going on and i think he did that you know he still does that to this day and like he's treated like this was that turning point though and so it's pretty fascinating i think what you see too along those lines is a lack of fear because you you talk about the hard left sometimes after that hard left there's an immediate course correction because maybe the artist isn't prepared for the backlash from their base to it you know i'm thinking specifically of Jack White with Boarding House Reach, which was a hard left. And then he went, ah, and then went back to like the raconteurs, very safe meat and potatoes rock and roll. With Kanye West, I guess that confidence, that bravado, which is all over the entire record, just comes from this empowerment he felt. You know, I don't know a lot about his background, but obviously he came up, you know, he was a producer for Jay Z, right? He worked with Jay Z for a long time. 
And he just has this confidence that he projects this big, big image. And I know some people, and I'm, I'm not about to armchair psychoanalyze anyone. I, it sounds like he may have some actually actual diagnosable issues. But the, the point remains that that fear just does not seem to be there for this guy. He is just fearless moving forward. Well, that's why I love watching and listening to him. I remember seeing some YouTube video around this time. And to Max's point, like this is where this is the birth of the Kanye West you know now. He's in TMZ yelling at people like I got liposuction for y'all. Like this is where this man is from. Where he was, I was walking down Sunset Boulevard somewhere. I think he was with Kim. He may may have not have been. And some woman's like, "I don't think you're creative." And he just goes, "Ha!" <laughs> he laughs. And, ha! That's impossible. I'm Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I admire it to a degree. You know, I, I do think that in order to, you know, create good art, you have to be confident in yourself. And, you know, there's something to be said for indecision, I suppose. But, you know, he throws it, it clearly throws his whole self into what he's doing, even if that whole self can wind up being contradictory eventually. Uh, I'm thinking of the, the portion on this album where he raps about how Donald Trump is stealing from your pockets and then winds up doing you know, whatever he was doing with Donald Trump at the start of his presidency. But all that notwithstanding, I think he's a man of contradiction, but he also like embraces those contradictions and would challenge you like, well, what, what are you going to exactly like you're saying, like that person in the street, you're going to talk to me. I'm Kanye West, motherfucker. Yeah. Like, say something. He would later on what is what's my favorite Kanye album, The Life of Pablo, I think encapsulate his entire biographical thrust in one line and he says uh, every jordan needs a rodman <laughs> and and i'm just like i mean that says it all it's for true, me yeah. like 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 an unpredictable character that at the end of the day is still a workhorse i mean and there's there's a million people who are flamboyant and rely only on charisma and there's really not a lot of substance but when you're still doing the heavy lifting when you're still the executive yeah. producer on all of your records meanwhile you're still producing some of the greatest hip-hop records and pop records of the time that you're doing it in I think that's an undeniable claim to greatness. Absolutely. Yeah, the fact that, that I, as a, a rock and roll fan, can listen to this record and find so many touchstones in it, just, I mean, uh, clearly the proof is in the pudding in terms of his ability. And the production is just so damn good on this album. It's so good. I'll get to it a little bit when we talk about the tracks, but he creates these sonic spaces that you know, paint these pictures. And, you know, we were talking about Bruce last episode and Bruce did something similar, but in this case, Kanye is using modern technology. And even though at times the risk with modern technology is that it can become noise, that too many things are happening at once. He always makes space for the important stuff. And he is very methodical in how he's arranging what you're hearing and he's pointing you in a direction. And the skill is, I mean, especially listening this time with a, um, a critical ear is kind of like masterful to behold. I was like, wow, it's, it's impressive. I've also, last thing I'll say about the kind of the introductory kind of ideas, but I've never seen a hip hop record get more rock fans into hip hop than this one. Yeah. I know so many people in my life, musicians and, and people who grew up playing in bands, people who grew up as Beatlemaniacs or Stones fans or Pink Floyd fans or whatever you want. And who said, you know, I mean, I like a bunch of hip hop. I, I, I respect it. I, you know, but it's not like really my thing. And of course, I'm like the sort of 
evangelist of Kanye and a, a lot of these sorts of projects. And a lot of times people are like, I hate that shit. I'm never going to get into it. And I go, just give this one, just give yeah, this one sort of a chance. <laughs> and usually they go, I never will. And I can't tell you how many people six months even later have been like, dude, I finally listened. And now I get it. I totally get it. Which yeah. I think is pretty, that's pretty powerful. You mentioned the Beach Boys. Like there's a lot of Brian Wilson on here, just in terms of the overall pacing of the record, but all this other stuff, which which has these touchstones, which can speak to different genre fans. It was really cool going through it this time around. So this record, to just do a bit of housekeeping, a little cleanup, it was Def Jam and Rockefeller. So, you know, the Jay-Z stamp on this one. And so it was recorded when Kanye exiled himself in Hawaii. And we all know why he did this because of his incident with Taylor Swift at the at the Music Video <laughs> Awards where... Yeah, he was an he was an asshole and and was eventually called out by the president of the United States for being an asshole. <laughs> yeah, I believe he called him a jackass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the young lady seems like a perfectly nice person. She's getting her award. What's he doing? Why would he there? do that? He's a jackass. <laughs> no, no. To Kanye, who I guess he had just recently he recently lost his mother. That's why he did the last album, right? The 808s and Heartbreaks. So Kanye's going through a lot, goes to Hawaii, and at uh, the AVEX recording studios there, I mean, he does further recording in the Glenwood Place studios in Burbank and then Electric Lady and Platinum in New York. So this is an album that's recorded between Hawaii, California, New York, I guess it makes sense. What do you guys know about the actual recording process itself? He set up this camp where they were working 24 hours a day, and he would just run in between these rooms, and you had people like Mike Dean... No ID. Jeff Basker was in there. Rizzo was in there. S1. I mean, there's this list of producers. And a lot of these producers' tracks, they didn't even make it to the album. You know, <laughs> it's it sounds insane. And a lot has been written. Like, like talking about this album is actually pretty difficult because just like maybe a Pet Sounds, how much literature has been written about Pet Sounds by the time, you know, the 70s and 80s and 90s rolled yeah. around. I feel like this is one of the most covered modern albums. Like, there's so much just information about my beautiful dark twisted fantasy but you mentioned rizza rizza tells i think one of the most telling stories about just kind of what the day-to-day looks like and he said basically you know they woke everybody woke up and ate breakfast together kind of <laughs> talked about the previous day kind of talked about where they wanted to go then they would go lift weights and work out <laughs> and play basketball together for hours yes. <laughs> then then after they after they did that then they would do a charitable deed they would like go visit kids in like <laughs> they would go visit kids in hospitals or like meet like meet like like people up from the area like meet kids and do do good deeds and then they would hit the the studio around 4 or 5 p.m. all wearing suits everybody wore suits Kanye made sure every single person was wearing a full suit and that's when they would get the work done my oh, dude I knew, this, I knew this was gonna be good I didn't realize it was gonna be that good <laughs> that's, really, that's awesome unbelievable yeah, I didn't even I didn't find that in any of my research is that only on the work camp in Oahu or is he doing that literally in New York and um, that's a good question. I just, I'm just basing it off of a pretty popular RZA interview that you can watch. It's on YouTube. Okay. Um, but I believe, I believe that's just describing the main 
Honolulu sessions, oh, yeah. which I still think are like 98% of it's the most. Of I think it, yeah. the ones in New York and LA are kind of touch up stuff, mixing yeah, kind of yeah, extra yeah. stuff. I think, I think that bulk of like this communal executive producer sort of mentality was done in Honolulu. Maybe you can answer this for me. Cause I read that some of it was added later, specifically the Rick Ross stuff. I think he, if I'm not mistaken, was a late addition to the project. Do you know if he was flown out to Oahu or is that the electric lady stuff? Or? I know for a fact it's like <laughs> this record almost parallels like something like those Beatles records in terms of how well they're documented. So I'm sure yeah. you can look up and find who was flown out. I don't know which one. I think there's about 20 features on the record. So yeah. I, I don't know who it would make sense because I know Rick is East Coast. So yeah. that, that would make sense if, if he right. did those things. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of those choices were certain features with the timings of different artists, I think, were at different times. I couldn't tell you which ones. I'm sure somebody on the internet's rolling rolling around screaming at the phone right now. But uh, I mean, that we have a no Googling policy on this show, so that's totally fine. The one thing, I mean, I just learned an awful lot about Electric Lady recently. I didn't really know a lot about that studio so it's interesting uh, to hear that some of this album was put down there i guess that was the studio that Jimi hendrix set up right before he died and since then has had all of these legendary records produced in it and i i had no idea this was one of them or at least a portion of it was was a part of that so that's very cool absolutely electric lady is still like a crazy crazy influential studio to this day some of my favorite mixers somebody like tom elmhurst who does the mixing of all the greatest, especially British singer songwriters, Adele, Amy Winehouse, anything Mark Ronson does, all that is mixed by Tom Elmhurst and Electric Lady. They're still very functioning studios. Yeah, it's a legendary place and it's still very active to this day. Cool. I went to Platinum a couple times in this period. I never saw Kanye there in New York. There's some guy named Jerry. He was, I forget who he was, the Fuji's or somebody who produced one of those groups in the 90s. I mean, to Max's point, how well documented this is, yeah, we could spend the rest of the time just talking about, here are all the people, you know, you've got <laughs> Pusha T and Rick Ross and Charlie Wilson, Big Sean, Beyonce, J basically everybody that was big in this era made their way onto the record, including people like Elton John or... Yeah, or, what yeah. the fuck? That took me by surprise. Turn on the lights in here, baby. <laughs> I was shocked when I read that. I was like, excuse me? And then the amount of, the sheer amount of tracks Bon Iver is on. I was like, There's a lot of Bon Iver, yeah. happening right now? A lot of Bon Iver. So I guess they spent three million bucks on this album. Pretty expensive record, but I clearly made it back. One of the most expensive albums of all time. Yeah, it's, I think it's worth it though. Clearly. Some other little tidbits I pulled about the recording studio in Hawaii is that Kanye had two chefs, two private chefs, one that exclusively worked on hot foods and one that exclusively worked on cold foods. <laughs> oh, my oh, my God. That's so good. Yeah. And he wasn't sleeping. He would just sleep for like... He wouldn't sleep in the normal sense, right? You'd be like, oh, it's bedtime. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. He would take power naps for 90 minutes at a time and then like bolt upright and then run back <laughs> into another room. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. It's, I, you know, I wish awesome. it is a modern Brian Wilson, Beach Boys, Smile Era style story. Yeah. The, the way everything happened, though, 
was like focused energy, yo. I never seen that from a rapper before. I come from Wu-Tang Clan. You know, y'all know us, we five of us, five of us show for the concert, other three late. Some ain't doing it, some is sleeping. You know what I mean? And it's, it's not only his talent that took him to the top. I gotta say, it's his focus, yo. I started the album really January 1st. I got focused and was down in Hawaii just grinding every day. The song like Power took 5,000 hours, like literally 5,000 man hours to do this one record. And it's that's the amount of time I was put into every song. Coming out of like, you know, one of the things that like my line of work is in music production and I can undeniably say that once the stories of this record kind of got into the collective consciousness more and more people started doing these very ambitious production house ideas so it was extremely influential just on the way that modern music was made because it's just so much fun it's just it's just it's not really arguable like you're gonna get so much more brain power you're gonna get so much more focus out of just having a team of people it's like having a band of 14 people and they're all focusing on the same thing and it takes a personality like kanye to really be the executive officer of something like that that was it's interesting you say i was gonna say you you need a cult of personality it's it's got a cultish vibe to it but that kanye fosters that i guess and you know he didn't didn't do it in a vacuum certainly but certainly you know it grew out of the environment he was in i guess with jay-z because look i don't i don't know a lot about rap history but his you know, his connection to Jay-Z is the thing that kind of got him his start, right? Yeah. Like it was his production on Jay-Z's biggest records that really propelled his solo career forward, right? Is it the blue, second blueprint? I'd have to go back and look. No Googling. Oh, no, yeah. Blueprint 2, H to the Izzo, Black Album, all those, you know. Right. Lucifer is one of the greatest early Kanye. I mean, it's not even really early Kanye, but if you listen to songs like Lucifer and I mean, he's all over all those great jay-z records and then after this they did watch the throne together right that was the next project another fantastic fantastic album i specifically flew to england to see them perform at the o2 wow it was one of the best shows i've ever seen it was yeah what was it 2011 or 2012 that would have been yeah and man oh man the the paris record i think they played it nine times in a row when i saw them wow Ball so hard, you know, all that. But um, yeah, a unbelievably creative and productive period for him. A couple other things. So I pulled this Pusha T quote where he said, this is a full quote. He's like, we could easily be working on one song thinking we're in a mode. And then he, Kanye, would hear a sound from someone like Jeff Basker and immediately turn his whole attention to that sound, <laughs> go through his mental Rolodex to where that sound belongs to the album. And then pull up the file and insert the song and then go back to what he was doing without any sort of lapse <laughs> in his attention or focus. Yeah. So it was just like this Rolodex material that he's flipping through the entire time. And I guess there were some leaks that occurred during this mm-hmm. album. And so he decided like after this, no more studios. And so like for you brought up, watch the throne only hotel rooms moving forward. <laughs> yeah. Because really? he didn't want some assistant engineer, yeah, or somebody to... Was he taping egg cartons to the wall or some shit? Like, what was he doing? <laughs> you imagine that? Just, 
you the cleaning lady open it's just <laughs> Kanye and Jay and all of them. That's and that's that's a great comment because the egg cartons thing because really one of the overarching aesthetics going forward of the Kanye output is a sense of kind of raggedy, imperfect recordings. Yes. Like, like balanced with really pristine samples or really pristine other synthesized productions by especially people like Mike Dean. But in terms of like proper recording environments, that became the aesthetic of Yeezus, Life of Pablo. Like the fact that like he would balance these things and we can get into this because I think this is a, a this record is is really the beginning of it. But it's this dichotomy between the beautiful and the ugly. Like that's yeah. like that's like that's really if you want to boil down really where he's kind of skating most of the time, it's between right. something hideous and something beautiful. And mm. I mean that's what really just gets me going to this day. I mean the love songs, not that there are many on this record, are an example of that. Uh, they toggle hard between I am feeling something that comes close to love and I also hate you or so, you know, it, 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 it switches and your brain isn't quite ready for it when it goes back and forth. Yeah. Like, um, I'm extremely sensitive. I'm, I'm, I have the weight of the world on top of my shoulders. I've, I have existential dread, but also suck my dick in a sarcophagus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I pulled this quote before, I guess, we saunter over to Paul's special corner. So Ann Powers writes that, you know, this album is about more being more. And it's the crisis of the jet-lagged cosmopolitan, the exhausted cry of one who's always new in town, always chasing whatever goal or girl is in the room, fueled by consumer culture's relentless buzz, but finally left unsatisfied. And I think that's why I just love the, I love this. I love it. Uh, Well, that's a great segue, Ryan, into, should we saunter over to the bullet corner? Should we, should we walk over there? Let's go. Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay. I know you're anxious to jump right in. So for the Pelican, this is where Paul summarizes his experience with the album and the research into beat poetry effectively yeah i can't wait yeah well (laughs) so i I struggle with these actually um but i boiled it down to three bullet points and they're short they're shorter than i normally do so the first one here i have for kanye west my beautiful dark twisted fantasy Pass the Eno sauce <laughs> is the first one there. Uh, I got a lot of Brian Eno on this record. There were some tracks which just sounded like another green world. I mean, startlingly so. So my second one here, <clears throat> second bullet, a potent portent of prophecy from a prodigious prick. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good one. Bullet number two. And striking in its alliteration. Thank you very much. Thank you. And my third bullet point from Paul's bullet corner here. Shit, the pulpit's on fire. <laughs> That's what I Thank got. You, bullet corner. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thank oh, you. Wait, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't clap. I should snap. Yeah, snap. Yeah. Who's got some bongos? 
So I just like to say, I didn't realize this was the fifth album by this guy when I was listening to it. Wow. For a fifth album, this is an incredible package that he put together here. And I was, I was actually shocked to hear that it was that many. And that, you know, that goes to what we were saying earlier about him just really being on par with those great musicians, you know, just being able to run that marathon of quality over time. Yeah, he's... The fact that you think of a, a group like something like the Beatles, right? That's four guys, two songwriters, but they have the help of George Martin and all these other people, whether it's Clapton or whoever else comes in. Kanye's the singular force driving it. He's he's yeah. the artist, but he's also a George Martin type character. And he's using, you know, we go back to his confidence. Without that confidence, I don't think you could get all of these powerful people, all of these successful and talented people to fall in line. Because they're also talking about in the recording process that no egos clashed, you know? Yeah. And maybe that's because you have the guy with the biggest ego in the room leading the whole thing. And you're like, <laughs> well, I just don't want to upset him. But I know there's just something, there's something to the childlike whimsy that he has, Kanye, where he's still really connected to that unfiltered version of himself. But he really does work fucking hard and he gets the job done. Right. So I think it's a perfect story. I... Like the Beatles, you'll, I don't think you'll ever see another Kanye West. I'm, I'm hesitant to bring him up because of the recent baggage, and I've, I've struggled to listen to him since all this current stuff. But Kanye in the record mentions Michael Jackson, and you know I think uh, he probably projected something similar. You know uh, that strong work ethic while um, also having that childlike clarity of vision. I, I was just thinking, like, how many fifth albums by an artist? especially a single artist, can you really think are remarkable? Probably yeah. not that many. Who, Dylan? I, I mean, you and I are McCartney sycophants, so I would I would put McCartney in there. But I don't know, Michael Jackson? Uh, who else? Single artists, hard to pick. Yeah, I'd have to think about that. I would say it doesn't exist. That's why I'm yeah. so confident in my claims, my, my outrageous claims. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, what was Michael's fifth album? Uh, the one from like 2001. Was that his fifth one? I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, who was a single artist that put out a fifth record that is even worth anything? And probably like Dylan's the first one that comes to mind. Dylan's a great example. A, yeah. Yeah. And what's what's baffling is that the albums after this, like Max is talking about Pablo, that's, uh, yeah, they get better and better. <laughs> like, it's Because yes. you got it. Yeah. I was going to say, because you have to keep in mind after this, he does Yeezus and Pablo, which are in several ways superior even to my beautiful dark yes. fantasy yeah. so he kept going at that a plus precipice level of like i was saying before the peak of commercialization and critical acclaim he was yeah. still there for two more albums and it wasn't until the controversial kind of Mont montana era if you guys followed that at all where he started to sort of drop off a little bit although they were still number one commercially and still very well regarded critically I can't yeah. wait to see what he does next. Even his latest album, um, uh, Jesus is King. Jesus is King is still a number one album. Yeah. And uh, not a bad album. I don't think any of it, any of his records, I can't point to one where I'm like, eh, it's kind of, it's bad. It's a bad record. Yeah. Oh, Bruce, single artist. Okay, Bruce, but then he, he's got the whole band behind him. He does? Because I, I don't think you have Bruce without Roy Bitten or who... Clarence, yeah, any of those guys, they're like characters in their own rights. Um, one person that comes to mind would be Pete Townsend, because yes. like, wh yeah. whereas he does have obviously a crazy band, but I mean, Kanye has a band in. A, <laughs> Mike Dean plays with him live every show. Yeah, yeah. 
contributes so much to the sound. So Kanye does kind of have a house band of sorts. But Pete Townsend comes to mind in terms of, I mean, their fifth album was probably Who's Next, I think. And that's their best one, man. You know, so that, that comes to mind as well. I like Who Are You More, but that's just because I like later era Who yeah, for great. some perverse reason. <laughs> I, I need Keith Moon with that big beer gut, that big distended. Yeah. I need all four members to be way drunker than they usually are. <laughs> Which for Pete Townsend, good God, would have been a lot. I'm an air-conditioned gypsy. It's like, do I make the parallel between Pete Townsend and Michael Jackson, or should I just let that one slide past? <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of that, track one, Dark Fantasy. Look like a fat booty Celine Dion. Sex is on fire. I'm the king of Leona Lewis. Beyond the truest. Hey, teacher, teacher, tell me how do you respond to students and refresh the page and restart the memory. We spark the soul and rebuild the energy. We stop the ignorance. We kill the enemy. Sorry for the night. G-Mons are still visit me. The plan was to drink it to the pain over. But what's Too much Urkel on your team? That's why your win's slow? Yeah, that's some good stuff. Yeah, so much head. I woke up to Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's just like right away in all of these lyrics. He's, he's like so much. He's just very playful. It's there. It's very serious, but it's also hilarious at the same time. You know, yeah. there's so many of these lines that as time goes by, I forget they're all from this album. Things like. The plan was to drink until the pain was over, but what's worse, the pain or the hangover? You're like, like these are a unbelievable lyrics. I mean, the whole record is, is filled with great raps and lyrics. But um, well, I mean, I also love the spoken word that comes in and out throughout the record, and the I think ultimately he is treating this album a lot like a movie. There's a cinematic feel to the album. And in a Brian Wilson-y way, we have themes coming in and out. The spoken words, one of them, the cellos, yeah, the orchestra coming in and out. And we get that here. It's a great opening track. And again, transcends genre. This is when I spun it this time around, I was thinking Prince actually, because I had never done the Prince thing and I did it a couple of years ago and I was th- at every Prince album I was thinking like who is this for like what genre is this I don't understand it but it 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 doesn't matter almost what the genre is cuz the genre is the person at the at the lead of it and Kanye has that quality to him. Hmm. I got that a lot from this this opening. And what that's Nicki Minaj at the jump you're talking about she's reading I don't know some kind of reinterpretation of something like Cinderella. Yeah. This is a very important moment for her, as we'll probably talk about during Monster. But this was a moment that solidified her as an artist, as somebody who would dominate the uh, critical and cultural airwaves for the next 10 years. Yeah, the biggest woman rap star in the world for a long time, right? Yeah, I forget. It's like you forget because I think of Nicki Minaj now and I'm like, eh, eclipsed by Cardi B, kind of seen as trash now. But I do remember thinking like, wow, this is one of the greatest female rappers we've ever seen. She steals the show later. Steals it. Absolutely steals it. But we get a little hint of that here. I also like that we get, you know, and we, we talked about Bon Iver earlier. There's something that manifests in the 2010s that I, I, I actually don't care for, but which I understand was part of the musical tapestry of the time, this 
folky millennial yell kind of sound that was going on in, I guess, what you'd call rock music at the time, or at least guitar-based music. This well, like Mumford and Sons? Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, hey! Oh, like that kind right, of stupid right, shit. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and you get a bit of that here. You get a bit of that. But it's done in a tasteful way and in a way that made it not sound dated. But I could hear the conscious infusion of what was expected of that kind of a record at this, you know, in, in this album. Sure, I can see that. Yeah. Great opener. I mean, I don't know. I mean, since this is the Kanye album, do we want to bounce around or do you want to walk straight through the tracks? Like, I'm happy to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. Walk it through. Yeah, let's walk it through. So track two, Gorgeous. Penitentiary chances, the devil dances and eventually answers to the call of autumn. All them falling for the love of falling. Get caught with 30 rocks, the cop look like Alec Baldwin. Inner century anthems based off inner city tantrums, based off the way we was branded. Face it, Jerome, get more time than Brandon. And at the airport, they check all through my bag and tell me that it's random, but we stay winning. We oh, you got Kid Cudi on this track. Yeah. I think the important thing about gorgeous i think most people would agree with this if you're making a list of the best kanye bars you got to keep in mind in rap culture kanye is not considered to be the greatest traditional mc he gets ragged on all the time it's like almost always just bravado whereas a lot of his peers somebody like lil wayne are like way more inventive. And this is pretty common. This isn't really my opinion. This is, I'd say, a kind of a mainstay of rap criticism. But I believe that Gorgeous might be the best example of Kanye at his greatest, just sheer rapping, sheer writing. I think the metaphors are insane. I think the flow is gorgeous. And I think that this moment, especially him placing this as track two Mm. was sort of a mini statement in itself saying like, Oh, you guys didn't think I could rap anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And it's done over a pop song like that. (laughs) That was what took me by surprise. Yeah. He's got all these chops. He's showing them off. It's over what reads to me like a pop tune. And I think that's could be blamed on a couple things. I think that's also just where pop evolved to perhaps in partial response to this record afterwards. But you know, you get that little guitar riff in there. And that's when I say that Antonoff, this one had that Antonoff stink on it, which I think Jack was kind of trying to emulate, uh, perhaps in, in a way on his future records. And this is, again, I'll probably mention him a lot, but Mike Dean, one of the most underrated guitar players of the modern era. This is totally a Mike Dean guitar riff. It sounds good. He's all over it. Yeah. All the really cool kind of octave distorted guitars yeah. that sound a little processed that are all over this record and every album to come. That's pretty much entirely Mike Dean. And much like the solo, his vocal channels a rage. You know, there's a rage on this song too, which is he plays with juxtaposition a lot and you get that bright stuff and you get the the anger in there. And that's what I got a lot from this song. I got a lot of anger when I was listening to it. You're getting a raw feeling. And then... <laughs> The whole thing, I, mean, I was getting really into it. And I was like listening and absorbing. And then he made a reference to that South Park episode with the fish dicks. And I lost my mind. Yeah, I was so fish happy. Dicks. <laughs> he calls it out. Like, that's so great. I'm so happy he did that. Choke a South Park writer with a fish stick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pretty interesting interview where Kanye talks about his album sequencing. And yeah. he, he says, and this is pretty evident if you, if you look back on all of his choices, he says he likes to start his albums 
with whatever the grandest, most cinematic sweeping song is for track one, and then for track two to make it the most like street hardcore cut on the record like he he does that on almost every album and it's pretty interesting how he does i mean like he does it very intentionally and you can see that on all of his studio albums it's yeah it's exactly what happens right here before we leave this track i do want to call out the line got caught with 30 rocks the cop looks like alec baldwin (laughs) very good (laughs) it's very very good i love the line i need more drinks and less lights and that american apparel girl in just tights she told the director she's trying to get into school. He said, take them glasses off and get in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's good. He's a bad guy, but he's a great guy. Yeah, it takes us to track three, Power. I'm living in that 21st century, doing something mean to it. Do it better than anybody you ever seen. Do it. Screams from the haters. Got a nice ring to it. I guess every superhero need his theme music. No one King Crimson, right? The sample? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, where did I hear this before? And then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, he's tipping the hat to the old guard there. And this is the track where he calls out Obama, right? The, uh, the Obama nation of Obama's nation. Well, that's a shitty way to start the conversation. I would say a clear contender for the best Kanye song, too. Easily up there. I saw this song performed on the Yeezus tour. And <laughs> before he brings out literal Jesus Christ on stage, there was a giant there was a giant mountain that fills up almost the entire arena. There's like like weird cheetahs like roaming around it. Like it's really great. And this is a literal mountain. It's not like a like a CGI thing. And then for only for power, Kanye goes away and he emerges at the top of the mountain. And performs the song. And it's the only time he stood in that place. It was amazing. Yeah. Wow. I do think this man should have all this power because it's compelling as fuck. Yeah. I mean, what do you say about this song? It's like Max said, I, it's definitely top five, top, maybe top three. I go back to it all the time. It also kind of um, develops what's a common theme aesthetically, visually. Like if you watch the video, it's sort of contains this mix of the ancient Roman archetypes even like there's like mm. cherubs and horns and angels and ballerinas and all these very lofty kind of high society landmarks yeah then balanced with vulgarity I mean it's a it's beautiful like, like I, I think it's one of the best examples of where those two like high society and like I'm like sort of this crude black dude in America who is not really even welcome in these spaces traditionally, but I'm here to fuck it up. Yeah. Systems broken. The school's closed. The prison's open. Exactly to that point. He's like, I got nothing to lose. We got nothing to lose. Let's do it. But it's, yeah, it's beautiful in its own way. I mean, we can go into the next track. First time I heard this record, I was probably, it was driving through LA, what, just 10 years ago, younger man. I just couldn't believe track after track, like how, <laughs> like what, all of the lights track four after these three songs. I slapped my girl, she caught a fit. I did that time, 
and spent that bread. Yeah, it's. I don't even know what to say. What do you guys think of all the lights and the and the interlude, which I think counts as the part of the track? This is one at the time I didn't respond to. I got um, this one got a lot of airplay, so I definitely was aware of it. I mean, it was nominated right for Grammys or won multiple Grammys and was nominated for more. This is one of the sections on the record that initially the busyness of it took me out of it. It was one of the portions of the album where I felt like the sonic landscape wasn't actually directing me in a place that I felt was purposeful. It just seemed like a lot. On this current listen, I listened to it with new ears and actually really enjoyed it a lot. And it's very hooky. But yeah, of the big singles off this album initially this one didn't really grab me but i also understand i'm in the minority and this is like a gigantic like huge song for him so um yeah i think this this trope gets revisited a lot in the later catalog by songs like um blood on the leaves where it's this sort of take a glimpse into my life as an a-list celebrity i'm gonna make it maximal i'm gonna make it overwhelming because that's exactly how it feels and i'm going to adopt this character of kind of like this traditional rap superstar and all, you know, the restraining order, can't see my daughter, her mother, brother, grandmother, hate me in that order, all those kinds of things, Amazing which line. really aren't autobiographical. They're sort of a glimpse of kind of the, the common pitfalls of a lot of his peers. And so he adopts this kind of big, top line marquee kind of i mean it's called all the lights man it's just like everything on you the flashes and it, and it sort of exists in this sort of like upper pantheon perspective which i think which is why i always liked it but paul i think your your uh critique is pretty spot on i think it is the most overblown song on the record it's a, a lot going on at once there's the fergie um feature which is probably the only absolutely regrettable thing on the whole album <laughs> um but then again you got elton john at the at the bottom baby turn up the lights in here baby <laughs> and it's like it's him and his shredded voice so he, uh, to yeah. me it makes makes up for it rihanna carries it in a lot of ways she just does what she does on every song and it always works so that was my next note in much the same way that Nicki minaj steals the show for me on monster i think rihanna's portion is the portion i love the most on this record and actually just hearing you describe the background of the song makes me even appreciate it more just at that point i'm thinking well maybe it's just maybe it's purposeful that it's overblown in that way just to drive home a point and you know by that metric i think it succeeds certainly yeah if there's one song on the record that's like like that sort of like the the paparazzi is chasing me feeling it's this song yeah and it's long too it's not a not a short tune it's just shy of five minutes which is long for a radio hit (laughs) these days yeah and there's what 14 other guest vocalists on it so yeah (laughs) Yeah. all these other celebrities are chiming in in agreement you know this is my life too but yeah it's great fucking kanye west (laughs) the brass on this i assume is fabricated it's synth in some way that's another big complaint i i hear a lot of from a production perspective is it seems fake sounding it, just from my vantage point listening to it had they been real horns i maybe would have felt something more for it in that way but again like you're saying like there's i don't know part of me is thinking like maybe it, all of this shit is purposeful you know the fakeness aspect to it you know it maybe plays into the celebrity thing i don't know well and i think that's what starts intoxicating converts to Kanye is that once you kind of see 
what this whole thing sort of starts to resemble. You start <laughs> like this is why he has a cult around him is because people start justifying even his worst decisions as intentional. And I've even been victim of that. I still am. I'm sure plenty of people are listening to this and thinking, Jesus Christ, this guy is up Kanye's ass. But I think that's one of the intoxicating things about what he does or what any sort of cult figure does is, oh, he meant to say that. Like that's that was intentional. (laughs) It's supposed to be shitty. So the other things seem better. Right. 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 Yeah. He's a monster. That's the which is the next track. Just Rick with that Rick Ross open. Ooh, boy. Against that track. Oh, Paul, you like this one. Ah, this one. So, okay. I I did get this whole record when it came out. I was living in Westchester, New York at the time, and I have a distinct memory of when this song came on. I was driving around some dimly lit wooded street, and I, I audibly screaming, like, whoa, like they scream on the track. This song is a favorite song of mine just in general i and you know again this is coming from a guy who doesn't really listen to a lot of Kanye west i love this song it is it is relentless but in the right ways it is driving those um that drumming that um i don't even know what you'd call it but that punch to it that doesn't let up but it also isn't ear fatigue uh is is i think a real thing <laughs> that can happen to me sometimes on records that's why i get out of all the lights on this one i feel like it there's just it just kind of flows naturally and when Nicki minaj comes on she has never sounded that cool before or since when she starts rapping on this song i, I stop and i pay attention yeah really good i'm gonna need to see your fucking hand in a monster automobile gangster with a bad bitch that came from Sri Lanka. Yeah, I'm in a tanka, color a Willy Wonka. You could be the king, but watch the queen conquer. Okay. First things first, I'll eat your brain. Then I'ma start rocking gold teeth and fame. Cause that's what a motherfucking monster do. He addressed her from Milan. Fantastic like stuff. First things first, I'll eat your brains. It's <laughs> 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 really good. Oh, we haven't even mentioned. Also, yeah, yeah, Jay-Z is on it, and he has a fantastic verse about, you know, his Achilles heel is he doesn't get enough love. <laughs> love, right. <laughs> Great. And this is, a, this is another hugely written about event because, I mean, it's so monumental from Nicki Minaj. But traditionally, if you are the artist of a song, you don't want to be shown up on your own song. This is like the most normal occurrence in commercial hip hop is like if somebody outshines you on a song, a lot of times you just cut that verse because what's the point? Like it's a huge ego thing. It's like one of the most common things to this day. If you rap too hard on somebody else's cut, then you get cut. And there was that conversation after Nikki's verse because they knew it was so show stopping and track stealing. And it was Kanye's better judgment to say, no man, leave it in. It like just makes the whole thing better, which is super cool. Really cool. Yeah. And that's where his ego does not get in the way of his art. Whatever you think about the man, clearly he cares about the product he's putting out deeply. 
to the point where he would allow something like that to happen because, boy, she does really steal the show. I didn't think somebody could outshine Jay-Z on a track, and she does it, you know. Everybody has somebody that makes them work harder. Like the scariest artist? Yes. Yeah, you know you know what? And it's so, this is going to be like such a big statement, I think, and such a big thing to feel, but I think... The scariest artist in the game right now is that the scariest artist is definitely uh, Nicki Minaj. Mm. Mm. And I think she has the most potential out of everyone to be the number two rapper of all time. Mm. Because nobody's going to be bigger than Eminem. Of all time. Yeah, of all time. I watched the video for the first time actually the other night and equally as compelling. She plays that role and... And Kanye's just kind of content to hang back during that video at times. You know, he's just sort of in a jacket and shades, just sort of off to the side in places. But he has that, he knows. Yeah, he's got the best line, too. And probably the whole record is probably his on that song. He goes, have you ever had sex with a pharaoh? Put the pussy in the sarcophagus. Now she claims that I bruised her esophagus. So, it's <laughs> so good. I was about to take a poll to see if anyone here has had sex with a pharaoh. I haven't personally, but I've heard it's quite good. Um, it's already bone chilling. Your, your your hairs are beginning to raise, and then they, then she does that very very idiosyncratic stutter edit where she goes pink whip thick ass give him whip bless the thing fit you know what I mean. And then by then you're just like oh my it's like a psychedelic experience. And I challenge anybody who's listening to this and still is skeptical. Like, listen to that verse and tell me if you don't feel anything from that. And if you don't, maybe this record really isn't for you. I, of all the records we've talked about, even on this show, I would put Monster up there with the with the best songs. Uh, just, I don't know. And I, I, felt, I feel the same way now as I did back then. You know, Ryan, last episode we were talking about these classic hits. Do they... Do they grade on you over time or do they grow? I never get tired of hearing this song. I, I could hear this song 10 times over and still love the record. Agreed. Hey, you guys missed the I'm living in the future, so the present is my past. My presence is a present. Kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to So Appalled, where there's so many people on this one, alternating choruses and verses. I think any yeah. anything that's going to come after Monster needs to be a bit of a dip down. Life can be sometimes ridiculous. I'm so appalled, spawned and bald, bald and Donald Trump taking dollars from y'all. Baby, you're fired, your girlfriend hired. But if you don't mind, I'ma keep you on call. We above the law, we don't give a fuck about y'all. Like a dogs that are chew a fucking hole through the wall. But since they all lovers, I need more rubbers. And if I don't use rubbers, need more covers. Housekeeping, I mean, goddamn, one time, let it be a bad bitch. I'm not sure how you guys feel about this one, but I always kind of, uh, I don't, I don't often remember this one because I think I'm just so dumbstruck from the last track. I think it's an appropriate follow-up to that song and also holds up. And I think that's where the sequencing on this record really shines is that you're on a roller coaster and it's okay that you just had that big hill because you you'll go on more don't worry they'll happen but this is this one also holds up to me um and I do I love that that this is the one with that Donald Trump line balding Donald Trump taking money from y'all I I heard that the other night and my jaw dropped I was like oh my god like knowing what would happen I was amazed that that made its way to this record 
Well, this song almost got cut off the album because it was leaked previously and it was just Kanye's version of it. So it was, who was it? Pusha T convinced him. He's like, you got to keep this on the track. And I think that's why all, all of the features and all the artists ended up on there. And, and I didn't know this when I was doing my digging Swiss beats. He never understood, I guess his parts of the song, they were never cleaned up. Like his voice skips and the, and a lot of the, the comps weren't cleaned or edited. Yes. And I remember hearing that. And he's and he's like, every time I hear it, I can't stand it. And I didn't even notice that the first few times around. But I noticed it, but I thought it was purposeful, like the like the Nicki Minaj psychedelic thing we were talking about in the previous track. I thought it was intentional. It reads like intentional. <laughs> That's some consolation. But it's like Max was saying before, like, is it intentional? Is it not intentional? It's like everything's just done with such confidence that you roll with it, but and I think this was one of the first albums that I heard where Kanye was changing the mixes after it was released. Not specifically this song, but like it went up. He's like, no, I don't like that mix. Re-upload it. Like it's already out. He's like, I don't care. And he did it like multiple times. So I think it's intentional. Yeah. I once heard So Paul described as when the record turns from day into night and like you have this sort of hmm. a, a little bit darker tones throughout the rest of the record sequence. And then you kind of hit dawn again with the end, which is um, lost in the world. And I think in that sense, it makes a lot of sense, (laughs) but um, Mm. yeah, it does. There's no hook on it. I mean, you just heard songs like loaded with hooks and this song doesn't really have hooks. It's just bars and it's got some really, it's an indignant song. Everyone's pissed off on it. So, I mean, it's just, it's just another tone on a pretty wild ride. Yeah, he takes pot shots at MTV and all these other things on it. And my favorite line on the thing was, well, that no, the day that you play me will be the same day MTV plays videos. That was a little joke. Voila. Praises due to the most high Allah. Praises due to the most fly Prada. Baby on magic. Tada. I like that little string there is like perfect to me. Which I know only gets better hearing me recite it. I get, I understand that, everyone. <laughs> Calm down. You got some flow, man. Thank you. Okay, Devil in a New Dress, next track. Uh, put your hands to the constellations. The way you look should be a sin. You my sensation. <laughs> I know I'm preaching to the congregation. We love Jesus, but you done learned a lot from Satan. <laughs> I mean, a nigga did a lot of waiting. We ain't married, but tonight I need some consummation. May the Lord forgive us. May the gods be with us. And that magic. Smokey Robinson sample, Will You Love Me Tomorrow? Yeah. Great. The Lear Cohen of DR Ham. I'm right back in, and for the rest of the album, it's just upwards from there for me. I agree with the day to night thing you said about the last track. Yeah, I'd say this song, Vintage Kanye, Soul Sampling, Splicing. I, I I can't prove this off the top of my head, but I believe this production track is mostly Kanye in terms of the actual physical laboring of the samples and everything like that. And it kind of harkens back to the first three records. Some people don't like this track. I love it. There's a really cool Mike Dean guitar solo at the end that lasts like a minute and a half. There's a Rick Ross yeah. verse on it. It's pretty cool. I mean, I, I, I love this song. It's really smooth. It's... It's at least very luxurious sounding. Now, 
that's the bit I like. I love the guitar solo as well. I think this is one of maybe two love songs on the record. Maybe there's one more toward the end, but and even then, it's not, it, there's a combative nature to the the love song in in the traditional sense. So I don't know. I enjoyed this one. I like the '70s flair, like you guys are talking about. That um, that smoky sample was really good. I lo- I pulled the I pulled the stanza. Put your hands to the constellations. The way you look should be a sin. You are my sensation. I know I'm preaching to the congregation. We love Jesus, but you done learned a lot from Satan was really, really That's good. That's great. I think I got the sense from this that in his romantic life, he likes the back and forth. He wants somebody who's going to fight him. You know, that's just the vibe I got from this song. He likes right. that repartee, you know. Yeah, it leads, I mean, brings us to the next track, Runaway. I'm so gifted at finding what I don't like the most. This is another one that's way up there on the list for me. Love this one. The one-note piano thing. And the, yeah. and that whole... I originally, first time, I didn't I couldn't pr- quite process what it was. I thought it was a guitar solo, but it's really his voice through an auto-tune doing this solo at the end. It's awesome. Oh, yeah, the little squawk thing. Yeah, that was, it's, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. This one and Monster are my two favorites from the record. I like these two, this and Monster the most. Again, I think sort of encapsulating the general theme, the, the title itself, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. You have a giant magnum opus here, probably the flagship of the second half of the record. Pretty conceptual too, where you have sort of an angel and a devil intentionally, where um, the Pusha T verse is considered to be like the devil on his shoulder. Yeah. saying all the worst things and it's a really really nasty not politically correct super inappropriate misogynistic verse which is awesome <laughs> and uh um and then you have Kanye's part which is just this beautifully sung you know the melody is so beautiful and the lyrics are so fucking stupid and it's just let's like <laughs> like well, I mean this song could have been a Bette Midler song in its melody and its chord progressions <laughs> and it's let's give a toast for the douchebags for the assholes yeah. I mean that's that's this record in a nutshell man like that's it's and it's so long you nailed it with this uh, really 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 innovative ending like you nailed it a lot of people think it's is this a guitar solo and it's just an octave distorted auto tuned vocal solo of him just kind of like feeling his way around the chords very interesting super high art i would say that's this song is like one of the most i would say indicative of modern musical art it's almost avant-garde really yeah and that's where i got the eno from was that ending and this is my the note i wrote on here was i could have just taken that ending for the whole record like i (laughs) if he did a whole record of just stuff like that coda there like i would have been satisfied I also got the impression on this song that it was one of the maybe the first times on the record that he appeared vulnerable. But in his vulnerability, there's still that snark. There's still that like, oh, run away from me because I'm too hurt. There's like that still there's still that ego. There's still that braggadocious nature to him. But 
it was one of the few glimpses into what I felt like was maybe his real feelings on the record. I don't know what it is with females, but I'm not too good at that shit. See, I can have me a good girl and still be addicted to them hoodwacks. And I just blame everything on you. At least you know that's what I'm good at. And I always find, yeah, I always find, yeah, I always find. That brings us to hell of a life. No more drugs for me. Pussy and religion is all I need. This is what the Amber Rose track about that model, that bald model. I mean, this one reads like a hard rock song. I, I mean, I know he sampled Black Sabbath on it, but uh, Iron Man. But uh, it's great. It's a really driving tune. Another highlight for me on the record of the songs. I think, you know, this one, Monster and um, Runaway were my favorites. And a big theme for me too, and one of the joys like that I've, I mean, this podcast has been so fun to be on. And I think one of the cool opportunities knowing your guys' audience and I, I'm just, I just think that sometimes making fun and destroying your idols is really one of the greatest joys of listening to modern music and yeah. to have something like the riff of Iron Man, which is this sort of canonical sort of classic rock trope that's played to this day. It represents rock and roll to so many people and heavy metal to so many people. And then, so you have this riff that's like almost sacrosanct to a lot of people. And then over the top, he goes, no more drugs for me. Pussy and religion is all I need. You know what I mean? And it's just like so many people I know are hearing that and they go, what the fuck? Who the fuck does this guy think he is? And that, to me, was one of the things that brought me a lot of joy as a rock fan listening to it, because there was a sort of appreciation and a curation of what classic rock means. But it was done in a irreverent kind of like, I don't give a shit about your idols. I'm here to kind of smash them. He wields them as a weapon against you and then challenges you to tell him he's wrong. And he's usually right, musically speaking. I think I just fell in love with a porn star. Turn the camera on, she a porn star. Turn the coroners in a foreign car. Call the coroners through the CPI. She gave that old nigga Osa. Bit of sweet taste, made his gold teeth ache. Uh, make a knee shake, make a priest faint. Uh, make a nun come, make a cremate. Uh, move downtown. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have said all that better myself. That's why we had you on the show today. <laughs> <laughs> If anybody has anything else, I think we go on to Blame Game, what, the big skit with Chris Rock? Oh, my God. I love that. I didn't realize that was on here. And then as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, my God, it's like no sex in the champagne room all over again. I love this. Yeah. I heard the whole thing, whole thing, whole thing, whole thing. Oh, my God. Baby, you don't took this shit another motherfucking level now a neighborhood nigga like me ain't supposed to be getting no pussy like this god damn so it's what it's kanye catching somebody cheating on him but the woman it's so good because of all of the stuff kanye taught the woman how to do i love it's hilarious invented the modern phrase easy taught me right 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 i don't have much on that other than i mean it's on an album that's already so great to have just a fantastic comedy sketch by arguably one of the best stand-ups still alive. 
Right. It's baffling. This is my least favorite song on the album. I think it's kind of a snoozer. I think that the Chris Rock thing is funny. It's it's good novelty. But this to me seems like that time in the concert where they play that last ballad before the last song and everyone starts to like sit down in their seats. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I still think it's a it's it's a, it's got a nice uh, John Legend is on this one. And so there's some cool things. And the different movements and things from throughout the rest of the record come into play here. The piano, the cellos, and, you know, John Legend's sort of sweet vocals kind of echo some of the more classical elements that, that Kanye plays with on the record. Um, so I, in the end, I, I actually enjoyed this track quite a bit, probably mostly due to the sequencing. But when that Chris Rock thing came on, I was just in stitches because he's talking about how she had her vagina reupholstered and <laughs> I was just like oh my god easy taught me <laughs> easy reupholstered my pussy <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. was that Michael Jackson <laughs> <laughs> it brings us to uh, lost in the world basically a pony bear song I'm lost in the world And again, I did not realize there was this much Bon Iver on here. I was like, where did this come from? It's <laughs> a lot. It's good. You know, I like it. It doesn't read like a rap track to me. It reads more like an indie rock record from that era. And, you know, again, much like with Blame Game, we get the themes coming back, coming in and out, and we get those big fat drums pounding at the end there. And it's this is another highlight for me on the record, a great, strong finish. I think this is what kind of makes this album worthy of a Dark Side of the Moon or something like that. Like all the great classic Sgt. Peppers, like I think he's super aware of these things. You know, it's, it's not an accident. So like you have a, a circular cyclical nature of this of this sequencing and obviously you have the power samples coming back like you said the drums and to me it sort of evokes this sort of dawn at the end of the record this kind of spills out back into um dark fantasy the track one so yeah. i think yeah you just you see kind of a is it the underture like what is it at the end yeah the underture like everything starts coming back recirculating there's even lyrical themes about kind of the dawn coming up and going farther into the night until the morning and everything like that and i think it kind of brings the record back into the beginning which is amazing this one slides right into the last song who will survive in america which is more the album's coda than the like the final song it's a sample of jill scott heron's comment number one which is a surrealist piece about the African-American experience and the what's happened to the American dream. And Paul, we were just talking about this on the last episode with Bruce. There are parallels between the two. Yeah, uh, Bruce looks at the American dream and sees it as a fantasy, but he's sad that people are living in that fantasy. And, you know, later in his life, Bruce would maybe take up the fight a little more directly in a political way. Kanye doesn't really get political, but instead of feeling sad about the illusion, Kanye rages at the illusion and uses these different spoken word bits to highlight 
those things. Children and some food to feed them every night. After all is said and done, build a new route to China if they'll have you. Who will survive in America? 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 It's powerful. It's sad. But in in some weird way, there's some kind of silver lining to it through the rage. Uh, there's some implication in some way that if you're angry enough about it, you know, maybe you can do something about it. I mean, ultimately, the, the, it gets you thinking. And so that's that's good. You know, there's not a lot of pop records. There's not a lot of hip hop records. There's not a lot of rock records right now that get you thinking. And this uh, this album is one of those. Yeah, I think it's, uh, like Ryan said, there's a nice coda to it. I almost look at this sort of sound collage as that feeling when the concert's over and somebody yeah. really, really intelligently curates the exit music to kind of make you recontextualize <laughs> yeah. the whole thing. Right. Or even like at the end of Sgt. Pepper after a day in the life where they go, never to see any other way, never to see any other way. Oh, I was tripping the whole time. Okay, cool. I'm just making sure. <laughs> I'm out of my mind. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that's that's it. We made it to the end. Any final thoughts before you wrap this one up? I had a great time. Thanks for taking all this time, boys. Yeah, this was fun. The last note I wrote in my sheet here was this is this record was surprising in all the right ways. And so was this recording. So thanks, boys. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. I love talking about this, obviously, but um it was absolutely a pleasure. All right. Well, enjoy every enjoy every sandwich. sandwich. Is our sign off? Do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today? Contact us at at now here this podcast on Instagram, at now here this pod on Twitter, facebook.com slash now here this podcast, or email us at now here this official at gmail.com. See you next time. And that leads, I mean, this one trans, <laughs> I can't even speak at the end of all this. It's been a lot of recording today. Well, hey, Ryan. Hey, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming, well, they can donate featuring the wonderful new donation technology boop, 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 that boop, boop, boop. ACAST has developed for us. That's right. ACAST has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, Acast, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an Acast supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. Okay. All right. Well, bye then.